welcome to Portico as you're getting a coffee or a snack, that's fine. You, that's more interesting than I am anyways, so you just hang out back there and uh, we'll, we'll go on whatever's happening up here. My name is Rick. If I've not met you before, welcome to Portico. And uh, I am the campus pastor here. We are a church here. We are one church and one message in all of our campuses, but many expressions. And one of the expressions we have, we meet out here in Milton, and we tend to feel it's the best expression because it is. And uh, we, at all of our campuses, we are starting into a brand new sermon series called Heroes and Villains. And we're going to look at men and women in the Bible who either rose to hero status, and they're like the absolute pinnacle of whom we would aspire to be, or they fell down to the depths of villain status. Now, all of us probably grew up heroizing somebody. We had heroes in our lives that we really wanted to be. Maybe it was like action comic book heroes. It was Superman or Wonder Woman or Captain America or Batman or something like that. Maybe, did any, anybody go to see uh, Batman versus Superman? Anybody go see him? I've heard kind of mixed results on that. Good, bad. Nathan, what's, what's your, what's your uh, it's a good? One thumb up from Nathan Hutchins. All right. So uh, we've, got, we've got one, th- one thumb up there. You know, so some of us would, would heroize other, different, other kinds of people. We see real-life heroes going on, whether they've gone to space. We see real-life heroes right now out west in Fort McMurray battling the fires and getting people back to safety or getting people to safety first and now helping them get back to their homes. All kinds of real-life heroes We understand heroes. We get what it takes and why we need heroes. And if you go to the comic books, we know that heroes need villains to fight against, right? It's not a good story unless you have good and evil coming together, these forces battling against each other. And in comic books, villains, they always seem like psychopaths. They're bent on destruction and they want to, they want to rule the world and terrorize the world. And that's how we know that they're villains because they're just evil people, But I'm not sure that that's the way that it works in real life. In fact, over the course of the next uh, five weeks, as we lead up to, we're going to end on a Father's Day message, but we're going to look at people's lives who were written down in the Bible, who maybe they were heroes, but maybe for the most part, these were individuals. They never sat down and made a decision to be evil, but because of a series of choices or maybe false assumptions that they had made, it led them to a place where they became the Bible's villains. And, you know, oftentimes we, we come to the Bible, we hold the Bible in our hands, and we say, well, this is a book. This is full of good stories that can teach us. But you know what we need to do in this series is we need to remember this isn't a story. This is recorded history. It was recorded a little bit differently. It was an oral tradition. It was passed down generation to generation. But these are real human beings, men and women, who live life and made decisions just like you and I made decisions. And they existed, they had the ability to choose one way or the other. And we're going to begin this series looking at the life of Jezebel. Now the name Jezebel actually means wicked woman. It was changed after she existed. So the context that there are very, does anybody know a Jezebel? Anybody? Hopefully not. <laughs> whose, parents, whose parents would name it? Look at little wicked. Uh, that's, I'm, I'm going to name my beautiful daughter wicked. Yeah, no, not so much. But obviously Jezebel is going to be on the side of villains. And we want to look at how she got there. And as Pastor Heather already mentioned, our series uh, starts off this morning looking at warning labels, warning labels from Jezebel's life that looks at the signs of into how she lived and in fact how she led 
that should have warned her that she was well down the path to becoming a villain and not so much a hero. She was bordering on that dangerous territory. Now, we as a society, we put labels on the dumbest things for the dumbest reasons. Have you ever, have you ever looked at some warning labels on certain things and we think, why do we need a warning label on certain things? Well, we need them because there are certain individuals who, and please, no looking around at others, but certain individuals who need more help than others and they, they fall into what you might consider to be an obvious trap they need a big label on there so that they don't fall into the same mishaps that evidently other people have fallen into, and that's why we needed a warning label. Like we were, as we were getting ready for this message, Pastor Jeff found one on an iron, and here's what it said on the iron. Do not iron clothes on body. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so somebody evidently was like, I could save 30 seconds. Yeah! <laughs> like, <laughs> Really? <laughs> Why bother going through all the work of an ironing board? Pastor Jeff found that one. We found this one as we were, as we were searching through products. We've, I found this one, I think, on a bottle of toilet cleaner. Do not use for personal hygiene. Oh, <laughs> if it cleans toilets, it must clean underarms and other things, right? Like, why would, it's a fresh brush. I can just brush whatever I would like. It's the fresh brush. This one, this one was wonderful. It was, on, it was on a chainsaw, and it said, do not hold the wrong end of this chainsaw. Well... <laughs> That's just dumb. And if anybody, if anybody grabbed the wrong end of the chainsaw and fired that sucker up, well, I don't... Who knows? But, so as, and then as we were getting ready, I thought it would be important for some... Not for all of us, but for some of us to... If we could put warning labels on a few of ourselves in the room this morning. So if we had, if we had a label we could put on women. Now, it was Mother's Day last week. So, and we can, we, can th- we can throw out the picture of... There's a lady there, Gabe. So we had Mother's Day last week, and we celebrated moms. We love moms. But I thought it might be useful sometimes to put a label on ladies that said this, warning, this product is subject to wild emotional swings under extreme conditions. <laughs> no booze? No. <laughs> All right, let's pick on the guys. What if we had to put a warning label on, onto men, and, and we had a nice big label on, on our chest when people met men, it said, it would, it would probably say this, do not attempt to give this product more than one thing to do at a time. Overloading its brain makes it subject to shutting down and sitting on the couch for extended periods of time <laughs> when you give us more than one thing to do. And if you're visiting with us at Portico this morning, we should have a label on the front of the church doors. And we've been, we've been working really hard to push back our starting time. But if you were visiting with us and you were here at 1010 and you wonder what was happening, here's the warning you need. Uh, please... T- this campus has difficulty beginning on time at 10.10. Please tune into the Mississauga live stream if the campus is delayed for more than five minutes. And you can, you can start there. So, you know, we could all use some help with labels on ourselves sometimes. But we're going to move to the Bible and we're going to look at Jezebel's life. And she missed some huge red flags that she had been going down the path. Now, maybe they weren't as blatant as this, but it led her down a path of destruction that made her a real-life villain. So we're going to go to the book of 1 Kings 21. And 1 Kings, if you're new to the Bible, it's in the Old Testament. You get through the first five or six books there, and then you'll find First and Second Kings. If you want the notes, um, they're in your, in your bulletin. If you want to borrow a copy of the Bible, you can just put your hand up, and one of our ushers will make sure we have a copy that you can borrow this morning. You're probably going to want to leave your Bible open to 1 Kings 21 this morning as we'll come in and out of there. And your notes will also be on our app if you download the Portico app. All of our notes are there as well. 
1 Kings 21, and we are going to read verses 1 through 11 out of the NIV version. Here's what it says. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. So Naboth was, was, an, was an Israelite. And the vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard. Or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He's allowed to. That's his property. But he is fighting against the king here. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And he lay, lay on his bed, sulking, and refused to eat. Remember what I said about men shutting down if things are going? There he is. He's shutting down. So his wife Jezebel, the queen, came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard. Or if you prefer, I'll even give you another vineyard. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. <laughs> So Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. She's a problem solver. Here she goes. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, falsified documents, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. And in those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him, and then have the people bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king, and then take him out and stone him to death. So the elder, so falsifying documents and murder. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. So the first warning sign I'd like for us to see is murder. If you plan on stoning someone to death and you want to steal their land, you may be on your path to a villain. No, just kidding. That's not actually the first one. But let's, let's pray this morning and ask that God teach us something out of the story of Jezebel's life. Father, we thank you for your word. And we probably don't see ourselves this morning as murderers and land thieves and falsifying royal documents. We're not going to see ourselves there. But God, we are going to see that there's a path that Jezebel went down. And she inherited practices from her past. She inherited labels from her past. She began making choices based on these things. And Father, led her down a really different road than, than what could have been. And I pray that this morning we find ourselves looking at maybe some of the labels, some of the practices that we've had in our, in our former days, in our youth, and we would take a look at maybe is there changes that you want to bring into our lives today so that we would be on the path to hero as opposed to on the path to villain. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now this passage in Kings, this is the first recorded act of King Jahab, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel as leaders of Israel, and it shows us how corrupted they were. And most of us, we're not going to become synonymous with evil like Jezebel, but we're going to look at three key markers from her life that we're going to reflect on this morning. So here's the first one. Do not let your past define your future. That should be a label that we carry around, a warning to us. Don't let your past define your future. Now, Jezebel was a queen because her father was a king. We can see it in 1 Kings 16 and 31. And her father was a king. The only reason why, a, the only reason why Jezebel's father was a king? Because he murdered his brother, who was the former king of Sidonia. And the only reason that, a, that uh, Jezebel's father's brother was a king? 
because he murdered the king who was there before. So the three brothers murdered each other to take, king, to take the kingship of Sidonia. And then Jezebel just watched all this happen. She watched her uncles go at each other and murder each other. That's the only reason why they were there. Now that would make for awkward family dinners, you would think, when everybody get together after the first murder. So I've noticed you're the king now. <laughs> what happened to our older brother? Something, I'm not sure. And then a few years later, the same thing happened. Wow, we're seeing history repeat itself. We can see that Jezebel comes, through, comes to her treachery quite naturally. It's all she had ever known growing up. In 1 Kings 21 and 7, when she says to Ahab, don't worry, I can fix the problem, she just defaults to what she had always known and seen growing up. Killing was an acceptable practice in her world. That's what her dad did. That's what her uncle did. She saw this modeled for her. So how does this relate to our lives? Well, let's go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 7. Jesus said, you've been taught, don't murder. Thou shalt not murder. That was the command that they were given. And then he ups the game for all of us in the New Testament for, our, for Christ followers now. He says, you've been told don't murder, but I tell you this, hate is going to be the same as murder. And you've been told, don't, have adul- don't, don't commit adultery. Well, lust is the same as adultery. Jesus was saying, you know, it's not the action that I'm actually going, really concerned about. It's the underlying emotion. The drive that makes us to act improperly is actually the thing that we need to deal with, the thing that we need to check ourselves on. So what kind of baggage do you and I carry around on a daily basis? It could be a label from our past. Maybe it's a modeled behavior from our parents, something our parents did, something our families did that became normalized for us. Maybe it's a destructive habit that we picked up as, as, as teenagers and as we've lived on or for teenagers, maybe from even before that. Something that we picked up as a kid and it's something that we continue to go on and we get that label that we carry along with us day to day and we feel this is who I am. This is how it's okay to act. Maybe it's even a mislabel. Maybe some of our peers Some of our family have labeled us a certain way and we walk around with it and it kind of defines who we are and it defines how we act. Did you know that the phrase, well, that's just who I am, I can't help it, isn't found anywhere in the Bible? The the phrase is saying, I can't change, that's the way I was created. Actually, the exact opposite is taught in scripture. When we say, this is my personality, I'm hot-tempered. I get angry at people. When, when we say, this is just kind of part of who I am, we're going against what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old, that's who I am, the old is gone, and the new is here. And so many of us live daily, we're rooted in brokenness of our past or what's been modeled for us. And we feel doomed almost. Like we walk around going, I can't help it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat this mistake. This is just who I am. This is how I've lived my life. And we feel trapped. We're like, how do I get out of this? See, the power of the gospel message is, is transformative. It says we don't have to be the broken people and beings that we were up until the point when Jesus entered our life and restored wholeness to us. Jesus came because he knew that we were broken and he knew that we needed the opportunity to experience change. And it's not 12-step programs that get us through this. It's not therapy groups, but it's the renewing power of the Holy Spirit that actually gives us the ability to be different people. 
Now, that may sound odd coming from somebody who's a trained therapist as myself, going, it's not programs that get us out of it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there is no use in group. I'm not saying there is no use in in session. There is no use in reflecting. Actually, doing the hard work of exposing who we are and saying, you know, this is my struggle. Aligning ourselves with other people and say, can you keep me accountable? Going through the process of reframing our thoughts, this is all extremely important stuff that I value and I work with personally. I work with friends. I work with people in the church doing this work. It's just that, you know what we're doing? We're doing what scripture says we're supposed to do. We're doing what scripture says, bring your brokenness to me, lay it all out, and then accept new, accept you don't have to be the person that you were up until this point. And I believe that we're assisted by the power of the Holy Spirit when we do it, when we lay it down. Christ gives us something new. And that's why we're told in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, take captive every thought and make it obedient to the word of God. And when we label ourselves and we say, well, this is who I am, I can't help that. We're not making that thought obedient to the word of God. We're not saying I am a new creation. This morning we come to Jezebel's life and we say the label that we carry from our past, it doesn't have to define me today. I don't have to be the person that's lazy. I don't have to be the person that's angry, that feels not smart enough. If we were to go around the room, each of us could be share a story from our lives and say, you know, this is who I am. This is who I felt I was. And then I met Jesus. And I still feel that way sometimes. But here's the transformative work that's happening in my life. Before Christ, people could say, you know, my marriage was in really bad shape and I'm not sure what was happening. I was addicted to this drug. I was addicted to this substance and I just felt like I couldn't stop. I felt like I was never good enough to come to church because I'm just not a church person. And it's not that when we come to Christ and we come to church, we all have perfect lives. We know this, right? We still struggle. But we possess the ability to see change. This is why we're here. We understand we don't have to be different. We can have hope to live differently than what we've experienced up until today. And we have all kinds of negative labels that stick with us from our past. If we look to scripture, Jesus took Peter's denial. Peter said, I don't even know you. That's who Peter was. He struggled with confessing Jesus. And then what did Jesus do? He made him the pillar of the church. He took Mary, who was a known sex trade worker, and he brought her into one of the most beautiful redemption stories in the New Testament. He took thieving tax workers and people from different religions and made them the apostles who would spread the church all through Jerusalem, all through Israel, and then even all throughout the world. And I have good news. Whatever we define ourselves with up until this point, he looks at us and said, and I have something better for you. You don't have to be that person. You can go out and live differently. Don't let your past label define your action today. Here's the word of the Lord written just for us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Paul wrote this for us. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ Jesus to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to it. He decided in advance when he knew us who we'd be to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. We have the choice. Jezebel chose to continue on in the person her father was. It was natural, it was easy, it was a pattern, and she just did it. We have a choice not to let our past define our future. Second thought is this. Don't be consumed, second uh, warning label for us, do not be consumed by a thirst for power. 
One thing that should stand out to us in the story is that Jezebel was queen, and culturally, in this time and in this um, country, the queen had no business making big moves and acts of power. That was not the queen's role. In fact, in most cases, there were multiple queens, and the queens were around the house. The queens were not into politics. But clearly, if you study the life of Jezebel, maybe some reading you want to do this week in the book of First Kings, there's a few chapters, 19, 20, 21, 22, you'll see lots of stuff that has Jezebel lived her, her life. She was the one calling the shots in this relationship as well as in Israel. As we saw in verse 8, she wrote letters in Ahab's name and placed his seal on them and sent them to the elder, elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city. And if you follow her story, she does this all the time. She's dictating moves. There's the famous showdown that if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know that on Mount Carmel, there's Elijah was set up against all the prophets of Baal. And Baal was the established religion of Israel at the time because Jezebel wanted it to be that way. And Jezebel killed off all of the other prophets who were the prophets for God and said, I'm going to set up all the prophets of Baal against Elijah, and we're going to build two big altars, and we're going to see which God answers them with fire. Elijah has this challenge that he, that he proposes to all the, other, all the other prophets, and Jezebel's there watching, and the Baal prophets, they can't make fire come. They're cutting themselves. They're doing their chants. They're offering the kinds of things that they thought would make fire come, and nothing happens. And then Elijah comes up, douses all of his with water, and says, and just says, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to make a sacrifice, and the Lord's going to answer this with fire. And he burned up the entire altar. And this really actually ticked off Jezebel, so then she chases Elijah far away. And she, all through the course of her leadership, though, she acted swiftly and brutally to get herself and her people into positions of power. So what's a life lesson for us here? Because we're probably not doing that. <laughs> Hopefully you're not going into work and killing off a whole bunch of people and establishing yourself as the pseudo ruler in your work. That would probably cause HR problems for you. I'm just suggesting it might. But you, the, the lesson here is, do you trust God to get you where you need to be in your life or, in your, or is your career arc better left in your own hands? Do we trust that God's going to take care of our life path, our career? Can we get where we need to be? Or are, are we consumed with this thirst for power of making our own way happen, pushing ourselves ahead? Jezebel made sure she had things go her way. She would kill. She would lie. She would act with deceit. Control was one of the characteristics that made her the villain that she was. And most of us have an idea how we'd like life to turn out, right? Some of, some of us really struggle, actually, if we were honest, to say, God, you're in control and I trust you you have this under control. When you come to a prayer, it's almost like a pep talk to remind God of how things are supposed to go for you. You come and say, Lord, thank you for the wonderful gifts that you've given me to lead, and I just want to use my talents for your kingdom. Do you remember that parable, Jesus? I think it was you who, who actually said it, but, but I didn't want to, you know, I'm not supposed to bury my gifts in the dirt. I'm supposed to use them. And I don't know if you've noticed, but the VP of accounting is an immoral woman who is leading this company to the bail idols of the modern world. And Lord, let your servant take her job and I will use my 10 talents that you've given me and you will honor me and we will gloriously honor you in this company. And Lord, help me stay humble as I lead. I know, I know that'll be... It'll be my struggle. <laughs> Wanting success isn't wrong, right? Highlighting our strengths to our superiors and trying to get ahead, that's, that's fine, right? 
But forcing our will over God's will, forcing ourselves ahead is the very kind of attitude that we look at Jezebel's life and we say, no, you were a villain because you wouldn't, you wouldn't just allow God's path to play out in the kingdom of Israel. You wanted it your way or no way. And let's remind ourselves of Jesus' teaching about power and leadership. In Mark 10, 43 and 44, he said, Instead, whoever wants to become the greatest among you must be your servant. To go, go in and serve. Don't, be the, don't push yourself to the greatest. Whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. Peter wrote some similar words. He spent some time with Jesus. We can trust that these are, come from teaching that he had heard. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. But all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And it runs countercultural to what our natural reaction would be. We, we want to put ourselves forward. But the word of the Lord says, no, put ourselves down. Let's not push ourselves to where we think we need to be. Jezebel may have been a very different queen. If she had taken a step back and allowed things to progress naturally, if she hadn't killed off all of God's prophets and said, you know, I'm ready for whatever. I, I want to find out who the real God is. I don't want to push what I believe. I want to find out who the real God is. And said, let me see what happens. And on that day, when one God answered with fire and there was a whole lot of water around that and the other one did nothing, her life and leadership may have been totally different. But she couldn't see that. All she could see was her way getting what she wanted. Let's not be consumed by a thirst for power. Last warning label out of this villain Jezebel's life is that do not miss an opportunity for redemption. After the murder of Naboth in our story, God spoke to his prophet Elijah, the same one whom would then show up the prophets of Baal on the Mount Carmel. And he sent him to the king and to the queen with a very specific message. And here's what it says in verses 21 through 24. It's a a difficult message, I would say, but here's, here's what Elijah said. I'm going to bring disaster on you, he says. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free, And then he says, dogs will devour you and wild dogs and birds will eat your remains. Now that's a, how would you like to get that in your fortune cookie at lunch? (laughs) I'm going to destroy you and wild dogs will eat you. Hmm, I don't, I'm not too excited about that. They had fallen into the traps of their past. They They had shamelessly taken on power. They were consumed with the thirst for power and to get ahead. And then they encounter God's word. Elijah comes to them and says, you're off the track here, guys. And they're faced with a choice. And Ahab, we actually see the king chose change. In verse 27, chapter 21, when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, and he fasted. And he lay in sackcloth, and he went around meekly. He became humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's what makes God so good. It's never too late for any of us to be different, to make changes. And sadly, Jezebel never took the opportunity. And in 2 Kings 9, Uh, 30 and 37, we read the story eventually of Jezebel not humbling herself and she dies exactly how Elijah had spoken. She was pushed out onto the road and she was left there and her body was eaten by wild animals. She lived and she died a villain. And this morning, none of us entered the room dressed as the Joker with the face paint and the cards and the, the gas. We're not villains in here this morning. But most of us have a place in our hearts where we feel that Some of the stuff out of our past, the habits out of our past, family 
traits that have been passed down, we feel that, you know, that may raise its ugly head and it's causing trouble in our lives or just part of who we feel we were created to be, we can't get past. And there's something that we've not been able to fully submit over to God's leadership. And we want to take an opportunity to be Ahab this morning, to humble ourselves and offer worship and say, Lord, I'm not who they've said I am. I'm not even who I've said I am. I'm all that you've said I am. And here's the promise in the book of Revelation, Revelations 320. This is actually a message to those who haven't believed yet, but we can take it to those of us who have believed as well. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I'll eat with that person and they with me. It's an invitation from the Holy Spirit to redemption, just to say, if you felt far from God, if you felt connected from God, if you felt forgotten by God, if you felt hated, This is a second chance to walk out of here feeling redeemed, feeling like you are the person that you want to be. And if you're struggling with just even the need to control it all, then I want us to sing this as a declaration that everything that we need will be taken care of by his power and through his leadership. And this morning as we close, we just want to take some moments, just self-reflection in the room. I I don't know if you're a believer, if you're not, it doesn't matter. This is a chance for us to go, am I, am I okay with the person that I felt like I was when I walked into this room? And if you're not, take a moment and listen to the voice of the Spirit. Take a moment and, and sing or whatever you need to do to say, I want to be who God says that I can be. I'll come back and close in a minute. This morning I just want us to do something. If this this word is just an encouragement for you. If, if what I've just shared is something that's really just challenging you this morning, challenging the way you think, I want us, as we pray, we're just going to open our arms like this. And quietly, we're going to be open that the Holy Spirit would come and do work that only He can do. And we're going to be faithful beyond this to f- help somebody keep us accountable and we're going to be able to talk it through with whom we need to talk it through with and we're going to do all the steps that we have to do but this morning we offer more than that we offer we have an ability to connect with the power of the holy spirit that can do in a moment what we feel like we haven't been able to do in our lifetime so we're just going to open up our arms like this and receive receive healing See freedom from feeling trapped to be a certain certain way, a certain thought. Holy Spirit. what's happening around here, around the room. 
You're taking brokenness. You came because you knew we would be broken. <laughs> and you offer wholeness. And I pray that we walk out of here with confidence that you will be with us. That this same spirit that is present now doesn't leave because we leave <laughs> a building. We are your church. If we believe, we are your church. And we go with the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, when we encounter a lie, when we encounter a label this week, help us remember what the voice of the Spirit was saying right now. Help us remember to live differently and act differently and no guilt in the name of Jesus. There'd be no guilt when we, when we fall back into the same pattern and pathway. That's not why you do this, Lord, to make us feel guilty. Um, you do this to remind us that we should never give up coming to the, you like this and being open to letting your Spirit speak to us. So, God, help us. Thank you for what you were doing. Thank you for the lives that were touched this morning because we took a moment just to reflect and listen to you instead of pressing on. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this all in your name. Amen. Amen.